show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just ain't enough. Everyone and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. We got a really interesting show tonight. Should be funny, nice and light, but we were sort of uh, getting a little bit away from the real crime, but still be in the real crime genre. But we got a very special guest, and before I introduce the guest, I'm going to of course, of course, uh, introduce my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? I'm good. I'm actually pretty light. I didn't eat that much today, so I think this is going to be a really good show. You know, Phil, I notice your arms are so big just from you stirring those huge pots of sauce <laughs> that you do every you do every Friday night. <laughs> I love and uh, well. Let me introduce our guest. He's a great guy. The guest tonight is comedian, actually lawyer, New York City tour guide, and you know, you ever have someone that say. Your dad's no brain surgeon. Well, his dad is a brain surgeon. So that's where he gets all his smarts from. But what he is, he's he's a tour guide, but his life is so interesting now. He does he's like a jack of all trades. And it's my pleasure. I and I actually met him in the comedy business when I was doing stand-up. Not that I'm totally against away from doing stand-up, but I'm taking a little break from it now. So without further ado, let me introduce my good buddy Tom Delgado. Yeah, all right. Welcome, Tom. Thank you so much. Insert insert uh, all the clapping and audience here. Uh, great. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. No, no big deal. Thank you so much. No, but thank you guys for having me. Thanks so much, Bill. Good to see you again. It's great to meet you, Phil. Good to see you guys. Thank you. It's it's great to see you because you know we did we did a video together and we I did your comedy show uh, yeah on on Third Street and Avenue B at at Poco I did it a couple of times. Yeah, and just it's a great audience because the audience—it's a small place, and the audience is right on top of you. Yeah, yeah. And I—I I was always the oldest guy on the show, though. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if, if you did that on purpose. You know and what? I get sad, the- <laughs> sadly, every week I'm the oldest guy on the show. So uh, is that right? A, yeah, it's a pretty young audience there for sure. Uh, but it's always a fun time. You know, I just want to say to our audience. Imagine having a son like Tom, right? And you, you're you're a brain surgeon. You make your son go to law school, oh, and boy. he's like, "The hell with that law degree! I'm going to be a New York City tour guide." <laughs> I love how, Phil. I love how Bill wasted no time in getting to this point. Uh, yes, my dad <laughs> yeah. was uh, he was he was a brain surgeon, retired, um, and yeah, I was a lawyer, and I left it. Uh, but as I like to remind you, I didn't do that on a lark. You know, I actually I did stand up for a while. I built a little bit of a career outside of it, and then I left. And I saved up money. I was responsible, Bill. So, <laughs> and you're also an actor, right? Yeah, I, I, I act a little bit. Uh, I actually auditioned randomly. Here's a little true. I auditioned for Law and Order today. Actually, I had to send in an audition for Law and Order today. Wow, no kidding. You know, yeah. I recently I I had this uh, modeling agency 
that I was signed with uh, Abby Lynn Models, and and they were sending me auditions like, you know, at least three four times a week. And and with this podcast, I just, you know, doing those self auditions where you got to t- uh, do it on your phone, it's time consuming. Oh yeah. And, and if yeah. you don't have someone around that can read with you, right. it really gets to be a pain in the ass. So I was like stressing out. So. I actually called her up and I said, you know, Abby, I, I go, I can't do this anymore. I got to, I got, you know, I don't know if I'm quitting for the rest of my life, but I can't do it right now. And she was like, oh, I, really? <laughs> She's like, was sure? it something I did? Yeah, was like, some, like, they didn't almost understand. What is this? <laughs> Tom, what part in uh, Law and Order did you audition for? Can you say? I, audi- I auditioned for a, uh, for a, uh, I guess it's like an episode. I don't know how much I can say about the episode, but it's, uh, let's just say I'm the criminal. Okay. obviously i guess okay. i mean you see my face um <laughs> but uh yeah i was a criminal who gets arrested <laughs> okay. when you when you uh uh you said you're a lawyer so did you actually practice law was it criminal law or so what i did was i i um i graduated from law school i came to new york passed the bar and then i actually worked in house at a company and i was more writing about law i was doing uh intellectual property and commercial contracts okay for this publishing company and working with like more senior attorneys and stuff helping them draft all these different things uh, I wasn't actually in the courtroom, which uh, which gave me time to just start stand up and do all that stuff uh, and gave me, you know, I kept, kept kept some of my sanity, which was nice. But uh, but yeah, I was there for about four and a half years and then I left. And um, and now, yeah, now I do this and, uh, you know, make the videos, do some stand up, some acting, some everything and, uh, you know, piece it all together. You know, Tom, I want to yeah. show this this little p- part of this video that we did together. And this was actually yes. like like three years ago. Yes. So and, we should give uh, some context. Me and me and so that first of all, don't judge this. This is from early <laughs> on when I started making these videos, and uh, and I was still making them to nobody. But me and Bill did one about crime in New York. Actually, and it was super fun. Bill drove me around uh, New York and told me about all these cool things that happened. I told him some things that I would I had learned, uh, uh, you know, from studying New York and all that stuff. And it was a really fun video. And Bill loves the fact that we play guitar. So let's let's see That's the true. Clip. Let's play, let's play this clip. That night, five men came. Four of them went in through the back door while one waited in the car. And they came and started shooting at him while he was sitting at dinner with his family. Then he staggers out the door and actually collapses outside because they say he wanted to get the gunfire away from his family. It's a stand-up wise guy. He's a good man, I, I guess. And earlier that night, he was actually watching a show at the Copacabana by Don Rickles, believe it or not, a famous comedian. Now he can die. You see Don Rickles, now you can die. Did you just call him Don Rinkles? No. Well, maybe I should. That was, that'd be a pretty good look. That'd be a pretty good look. That's pretty good. Do you want to go uh, keep walking around? Let's head uptown. So just also background, that that was the story of Joey Gallo, which I'm sure you know, Phil, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny because Bill sounds like a gangster. He's like, yeah, he, he does. What's the craziest thing you ever saw here? Well, we had a guy one time who was invited to a party. Mm. He was the guest of honor. And they tortured him. And they cut off his head and his hands. He was the guest of honor. Guest of honor. I hate to see what they did to the coat check person. <laughs> yeah. They did a fight with a cop. Not a physical altercation. Lots of yelling. Did you have to arrest yourself for obstructing justice? Well, cool. Should we go see something in the neighborhood? Let's go up to Rails. Oh, this is great. So I'm sorry, Bill. You so Bill was a you know this Phil that that Bill was actually the arresting officer on this, right? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Yes. I, but I was there. He, I was, he, he yeah. was on the case. He was on the case. Yeah, yeah which is pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And a short little guy named Louis Barone, Louis Lump Lump, 
He said to me, dude, uh, why don't you uh, give the lady a break, have a little respect. And he said, oh, really? He goes, I'll f*** you right in the And the old man goes, no, you won't. He pulls out a gun and shoots Boom. him at the bar. Wow. And you worked this case? Well, it wasn't a tough case. He walked outside. The police grabbed him, put handcuffs on him. It wasn't really a hoot, though. What is uh, Rayo's now? <laughs> it's a famous celebrity hangout. There's only eight tables. It takes about six months to a year to get a reservation. So celebrities like, uh, yeah. like Bill Nye? Well, Uma Thurman. Oh, okay. or, uh, well, anyone who's anyone in the city. So was the restaurant cooperative with the investigation? No one saw anything. The bartender, Vinny the Vest. The bartender's name was Vinny the Vest. Yeah, he's still there, Vinny the Vest. You get a nickname about what you wear all the time. Would your name be Bill Newsy Hat Cannon? No, it'd be Billy Big Guns Cannon. There you go. This is a family travel show. <laughs> now we head to this other really cool spot that I know. Wait, so Bill, so, so Bill, oh, this, you, were, you were on the case for this one because you, it was just in your district and you were just assigned to it or what? Uh, no, I, I was in Manhattan North Homicide Squad. So whenever there was a murder in anywhere in any of the precincts in Manhattan North, we went. Mm -hmm. So this was in Manhattan North. It was That's in the pretty cool that you just, you just kind of got that. So, Phil, I, I took a ride around. I'm sure you have tons of stories, too, this way. But I took a ride around with, with Bill, and we were driving around the car. And literally, almost every corner over in, like, I guess the Spanish Harlem area, Bill would point to a corner and be like, oh, yeah, we found a, a suitcase full of body parts over here. The, <laughs> the landlord of this building paid her sons to murder the person upstairs. Every single corner was just some gory, insane story. He's, a, he's like a mountain of stories. I'm sure you have the same thing, huh? Come to Coney Island. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, that's oh, so you, that, was your, that was your area. Career. Say again? So your area was Coney Island. I did a chunk of my career in, in a 6-0 squad in Coney Island and a lot of high-profile cases, body parts, different things. Yeah, I, I, got, a, I got a few stories. Oh, yeah. man. Well, I'm going to have to take you up on that, by the way. And and we were talking about how your podcast was doing. Uh, you did recently uh, famous mob hits in Manhattan. Yeah, there was plenty of them. But even before I was a cop, growing up, yeah, as well as I responded to some heavy duty mob hits as well. So uh, yeah. we should do. We should collaborate together and do another to. uh, another walk and talk, as we say. Right? I would Go love to. to. I would love to. Well, yeah, we'll, one of the most. And we'll end it at Spumoni Gardens, so I can have some of that great pizza. There My you go. Fantastic. That'll, and that'll be Bill's contribution. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think there. He's and also, up the check. Yeah, speaking of the exactly, we'll eat. On, we'll eat on Bill. Bill's generosity, and you. Gen, yeah. Bill just hangs out. Uh, well, yeah. The. the I, I love the the fact that in in Coney Island was where like the one of the most famous mob hits uh, was the, the Joe Masseria hit, right? There, there was also the uh, the Abe Relis that was thrown out of the right, uh, half thrown out the window. Hotel. Yeah, me, yeah. me and uh, Bill were talking about that recently. I sent them some articles on it. So, mm -hmm. and, and matter of fact, when we were talking about your your show, when we were off the air, we were talking about it. And I said, you know, Bill, we should do something with all these different things that went on. Now, the Half Moon Hotel is no longer standing, right. but uh, when I first worked there, it was a relic of itself, but it was still there. And then they knocked it down. They probably put some buildings up over there. But uh, that's a great story when you hear yeah. how it happened. How this guy was gonna, you know, nobody ratted back then, and this right. guy came forward and he was gonna take down some politicians and stuff. And he slipped on a banana peel and he went flying out the window as the uh, the detectives were bodyguarding him to go to court the next day. So yeah, yeah, that's right. They were they were guarding him really closely and just and and so they apparently crazy banana peel right out the window. So oh, what yeah. a what a coincidence, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, he slipped on a bar of soap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the shower this is uh i'm gonna play a bit from your um 
best mob hits in in New York City. So we're gonna get this thing going here. Sporting the beard, Tommy, with the beard. Yeah, yeah. Here it is. Known as Satan Circus. So this was a uh, this was out in front of where um, uh, Beansy Rosenthal. I don't know if you knew about that hit, uh, Phil or Bill. Leo meme is from that, that one where he's doing that thing. This is uh this was called the Hotel Metropole. So this is a guy Beansy Rosenthal was uh, yeah. uh, was like a um he was an associate. This is way back. This is like Big Tim Sullivan, like the five points. Like this is like you know pre five families. Billy, he's getting into Tommy Dade's category. Uh oh, we're gonna have to bring Tommy on. Yeah, now he's gonna yeah. he's gonna get to uh, Sparks. So you know this yeah. one, right? Yes. Sparks. There it is. This is where. Paul Castellano, the head of the Gambino crime family, was gunned down in cold blood. To set the stage, Paul Castellano had been the boss of the Gambino crime family since 1976, right? So by 1985, he had gotten a couple cases against him. He'd been in and out of court. He also was kind of stuck in the old school. He didn't want to be selling drugs. So you, were, you guys, you were on the on the force, Phil, around this time? For, for uh, Yeah, Absolutely. So you yeah, must remember like, this pretty closely, huh? Pretty well. Was, what, 85? Uh, 85. Yeah, I just 85. came on ja January 21st to 85. Yeah. Uh, I, forget I, I was on a, about he three years, right? I came on 82. Another preemptive killing. So Gotti organizes a bunch of guys to come here. He actually waits in a car away from here with walkie-talkies with Sammy the Bull Gravano, his right hand. And you guys had Sammy the Bull on, right? Yeah. Did you guys talk about this? Not this specific thing, but uh, we—he was we actually talk, a great interview. Yeah, we talked well, about. You know, a lot he of has a pretty—he has a pretty popular YouTube channel, actually. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And he's—he's he's actually very candid and very open about everything. It's pretty awesome to hear, actually. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I tell you, the way that they architect that hit—if you want to just pause it a second, Bill. Thing you could be oh, okay. Behind you, know, on it. you know, the, the way they architect that murder. That hit. It was really, really uh, very ingenious because they had, I think Sammy talked about it on his own podcast. He didn't talk about it on ours, but he said that one of the guys came up with the idea, Midtown Manhattan, Christmas time, it was going to be busy, the streets bustling with uh, Christmas shoppers and people going to dinner and stuff. And they all wore like uh, Russian, Russian, and Russian hats. Russian hats. And yeah. they all had the same color. So it was going to be very difficult to make identifications. Right. And probably easy to take off and dump and then, you know, go as Joe Blow, uh, you know, Joe Torres in Manhattan. So um, when you hear the story, though, it's actually – uh, it came very close to not even happening. There was cops on the block and then they walked away and they, you know, they were at it off the set. And then uh, when he pulled up, everything just went down. They actually, uh, Paul Castellano who, and, uh, and uh, Bilotti, who was the, yep. uh, the bodyguard, was, right? You know, yeah. The bodyguard. When they pulled up, yeah. they were actually right next to John Gotti and Sammy the Bull Gravano at one point waiting to get into the block because of traffic. And they just Jeez. put their heads down, did one of those. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So it was really, it was unbelievable story it actually that was actually the downfall of the gambino crime family because right. it wasn't a sanctioned hit by the commission right and they went outside of the rules and the laws and uh they never uh they didn't forget it uh gas pipe queso and uh the guy used to walk around greenwich village uh lucchese they didn't forget about that and they exacted revenge a little at a time and then the whole house of cards fell in when uh you know, when they locked up Autumn and uh, Sammy wound up cooperating and all of that. So that yeah. was uh, that was actually the beginning of the end for them, so to speak, you know. That was a, a really uh, unbelievable hey, thing. Car away from the entrance here. Three men in trench coats and Russian hats. There we go. 
to uh, Paul Castellano and Thomas Bellotti, who was his 47-year-old uh, bodyguard, and just light them up, man. Each of them were hit six times with bullets, and they died right there on the street uh, on December 16th, 1985. At 5.30 p.m., they just wanted to enjoy a happy hour. Come on. They come here for a happy hour, and they get gunned <laughs> down. So Gotti becomes the head of the Gambino crime family until 2002 when he died in prison. He actually uh, kind of orchestrated things from inside uh, his jail uh, pretty much. Um, but he moved the operations to work out of the Ravenite Social Club in Nolita, which I covered in my Little Italy video. <laughs> That's right. And uh, he actually died in 2002, but continued to terrorize from beyond the grave when his descendants started the reality show Growing Up Gotti. Yes, <laughs> he was able to <laughs> the grave and terrorize us all. He probably wasn't too happy about that. All right. No, well, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> That was great. That was excellent. I love the way you narrate these things. You know, oh, you come thanks. up with the you come up with the humor. There's a, it's important to have humor in this stuff. Yeah, you know? this stuff's pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty that, dark. That video right there that reminds me of something that you would see on E. You know that channel, the uh, Hollywood channel, E channel. Yeah, like I the truth. Yeah, yeah. The way it was, uh, the way it was uh, broadcast. You you edited it pretty good. I like that with a little, you know, putting up the little things in the corner, and then you hit a laughing and the. The squirming or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank or, you very much. Yeah. It's, no, it was it's, good. Uh, it's good quality. Good thank quality. you. It takes a lot of time for me to do that because I'm not very good at it. But uh, yeah. 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 You do it yeah. all on your own. Do you have any uh, help or producers or anything? So what I end up doing is I've worked with many different camera people, but it's usually just the camera people. And right now I'm working with a guy named Eric, who's a filmmaker, and he's really, really talented. And uh, and he helps me shoot it, and he gets ideas for the camera and stuff. But as far as editing and all that stuff, I just do that. And producing and all the researching and all that stuff is all me. So right. it's a lot of work, but uh, I mean, yeah. it's stuff that I would be doing anyway. Like I, I was telling you guys before, when we, before we started up that the book I'm reading or have been reading for a while now is this one right here, which, uh, which is the Selwyn Rab. Uh, this is pretty much like the Bible as far as like literature goes on the mob. This is pretty much the Bible. It goes from the beginning to, you know, present time. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so we have is- a live Bible that uh, Billy and I refer to for anything uh, mob related. His, I said, mentioned his name before. It's Detective Tommy Dades, who I actually worked with Tommy. We came on uh-huh. the job around the same time, but he's like a walking encyclopedia on organized crime. And he amazed me because every time I talk to him, he'll talk about stuff before we were born. And he talks about stuff right up until now. He just really is. Uh, he's like, an, like, like you said, like an encyclopedia of uh, of organized crime stuff and uh he actually uh put us in touch with uh sammy on that case because oh that's amazing him when he when he flipped and he was uh you know he's in federal custody for i think they debriefed him for about two years sammy the bull and uh you know put him in trials and stuff but sammy actually uh sat down with tommy a few times and then they uh they stayed in touch and whatnot so uh he actually is uh something's going to be on I believe it's going to be uh, January, late January. I think the twenty seventh. They're working on something with uh, twenty twenty. Mm. Uh, Sammy the Bull, a whole big story about him. I guess it's like a, a one hour or two hour episode. So uh, yeah, that's going to be coming up uh, sometime in January, I believe. That's pretty awesome. You know, that's also too an interesting point. I, mean, I guess uh, Selwyn Rab brings it up, like in the intro, is that with the mob because it's all done behind closed doors because it's all done you know, off the books, there's no SEC filings, none of that. It really is people like Tommy and people like Selwyn that kind of tell the story. That's who you rely on. You know, you can't do research at the library on the mob. You can't do research in places of official documentation because there is none. 
Yeah. And it's kind of stuff that's told down, like, you know, story, the generation to generation. So it's really important that people study that stuff because that's the yeah. only really way to, to tell those stories, you know? Well, well, you know, even when we were listening to uh, some of Sammy the Bull's uh, stories and just uh, between, well, we've mentioned this before, but Philly knows this and uh, myself, Phil and Tommy Dades were on the show and we took a little uh, guff from some cops that objected to the fact that we were in interviewing someone who had been implicated in 19 murders. Mm -hmm. And we sort of reminded people that that's what we did for a living. We interviewed people that committed murders. Right. So right. why shouldn't we now be allowed? Oh, cause like people felt we were like glorifying him. We weren't the feds. We weren't the ones that cut him that deal that allows him to be a free man today. So right. we, you know, we, I thought he was a tremendously interesting guest and I would love to have him on again to tell you the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he was a great interview. And if you look at any of the uh, reviews or anybody that talks about it, they all uh, they all talked about how it was a great interview. And 2020 actually watched uh, that interview of Sammy with us. Uh, wow. And they commented they thought it was a great interview as well. So um, going back to Selwyn Rib uh, real quick, there's, sure. I met him a couple of times. There was uh, He had a great interest. When I worked in the 6-0 squad in Coney Island, we had – uh, the Russian organized crime was very big there in the 90s. So mm -hmm. I met him a couple of times. He was doing a lot of writing about them. But he's great uh, for uh, information on the mob, as well as Jerry Capici, who uh, used to work for the Daily News. Now he has his own uh, site called Gangland. And mm -hmm. uh, these guys, are they stay right on top of it. And obviously, they have sources. They, yep. they stay in touch with a lot of people, whether it be law enforcement or guys on the other side of the fence. And, uh, you know, they... they uh, they have a wealth of information on all of this stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, folks, uh, this is um, our guest tonight, especially because Tom Delgado, who has his own channel and mostly he's a New York city tour guide. He takes, he goes to all neighborhoods and he, he's unbelievable that the, the uh, historic information that he comes out with, and I'm sure he's not making it up. He does his research <laughs> and he, and he does, he does a fantastic job and I've learned a lot watching his videos, but for our channel, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, uh, ring the bell, and give us a thumbs up. Uh, we're trying to do something with, that we call in this business as cross-pollination. Hopefully that some of Tom's fans will like us and some of uh, our fans will like him and go and watch his show. Tom, I want to just play a little bit of this. is uh, uh, a little video from uh, the dark Greenwich Village. Oh, yeah, sure. Which, uh, so as... Mark Twain, ah, the guy who wrote Tom Sawyer. They say he haunts it as well. Someone claimed to have seen his ghost uh, dressed in all white, claiming, uh, my name is Samuel Longhorn Clemens, and I got a problem I got to settle. That was a pretty good impersonation. So this is the house of death on West 10th Street. That's what, that's what they call this house. This was the, the Joel Steinberg case. Okay. Oh, in that, in that building. He lived he in lived that building. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we this is have, me... This is me telling that story of the of the Joel Steinberg case, which I'm sure you guys may remember, right? Well, our, our, our friend Irma Rivera was very instrumental in this case. Yeah, uh, and this is detective. a case. It's crazy because neighborhoods like Greenwich Village, and I did this video because Greenwich Village is obviously such a fancy neighborhood now, and so you know beautiful, and people don't know that in these buildings, the stuff that happened, and Joel Steinberg lived in that building. 
Um, and it was, I, to me, I thought it was a fascinating story. Like I, right now I'm pointing out the fact that one of head of Nussbaum's attorneys was one part of OJ Simpson's, you know, Barry Schecht, Barry Schecht, exactly right. Yeah. And yeah. he went on to be on that all-star team of lawyers. And it was just the a really crazy, team. the dream team. Exactly. Well, ba Barry Schecht is big with the innocence project. Yes. And, um, yes. He actually, I think, I he think, I think he, yeah, he teaches at yeah. Cardozo Law yes, School. That's correct. He yeah. does teach. He, he teaches here in New York. But See, all I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a historian too. Yeah, you are, Billy. <laughs> well, Billy, you wear more than one hat. Billy's a college professor. He's that's a right. homicide sergeant. He's a musician. Uh, and I do I do impersonations of people with southern accents. Well, what you need to do is <laughs> that's pretty good, Bill. That's that was my that was my Dr. Watch, Phil. That was my doctor feeling. You need your watch. You gotta get your watch in there. That's right. I got my. I got me a fifty thousand dollar watch. While I tell you what to do, courtesy <laughs> Oprah. Oh, that was pretty good, right there, Bill. Not gonna lie. Yeah. So that was that was me telling the story of the Steinberg case at the House of Death, and then here go to this was before your guys' time. This was. This was the uh, the bombing, the weatherman bombing. Oh, yeah. and this happened at uh, right right next the next block, West Eleventh Street. Yeah, you narrate it. I'm, I have the real Tom Delgado here. I'm, you might as well narrate this. Yeah. So this building, look how weird and, and modern it is. And the reason that is because th that was that bombing in 1970s. That woman that I just showed was 25 years old. Her dad left her the keys to her building, right? Uh, to his building. Sorry, when he went out of town, he went to the Caribbean. And she basically had a bunch of her friends over there who were part of the weather underground and they were making bombs there. And there was an accidental explosion in the basement, like 30 sticks of dynamite or something. And it just basically blew the entire building up. And it was famous. The famous photos of it are of Dustin Hoffman running down the street with his art because he was trying to save it because he lived in the building next door. And so there's all these famous photos of Dustin Hoffman running through the streets of Greenwich Village with his art, trying to save his art uh, because that explosion went up. And then she gets away along with her friend and she doesn't turn herself in until 10 years later. And then her friend actually gets arrested in connection with another bombing, uh, another, another heist actually of an armored car uh, where two uh, security officers and a police officer die. The, the Brinks, there it is. There, that's, there's that's the, the Brinks robbery in yes. Nyack. And in and fact, the San Francisco DA, his father just got paroled by governor Cuomo. He was one of the drivers in that case. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that woman was there with the, the daughter of the owner of this house and they both got away. She was arrested for that case and they connected her with this uh, bombing as well. And three people died in this bombing and people don't realize wow. that that building has that weird modern, you know, facade, but that's because it got bombed to high hell and, right. three, and three people died, you know? How about Dustin Hoffman? He doesn't want to save his ass, but he's going to save his mom. <laughs> I know. That's such a funny picture. You know, what a like right. celebrity thing to do, Terry, taking your art down the street, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it'd be nice to have art that that's, that's that expensive that you think I to take it so, out yeah. of your apartment. So. You know, but Greenwich yeah, Village is an amazing neighborhood. I lived there for like six years after I got out of the police academy. I lived on Barrow Street, okay. which is right off of uh, Grove there, you know, yeah. right between Hudson and Barrow. And uh, that that old speakeasy, Chumley's, Chumley's was yeah. right up the block. I don't even know if it's open anymore, but it was I such a historic. Reopened. It's yeah. still open, Chumley's. Well, you know the story about Chumley's, right? The eighty, the eighty six story. I don't know. No. This is kind of interesting. So the story is that there are two entrances to Chumley's. One is on Commerce, right there, where where it crosses Bedford. I'm sorry, Barrow, where it crosses Bedford, and then the other entrance is on Bedford. It's eighty six Bedford. The main entrance is the other one on Barrow, right? 
so what would they said the, the story goes is that whenever they would break up the 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 speakeasy whenever they there would be a raid or something like that they were on good enough terms that they would kind of give them a heads up but as as just as a precaution they would uh, empty everyone out the back uh, before the raid got there and they would 86 the party they would 86 everyone out the back door so that's the how 86 that's where the, oh that's wow. great i because we used to use that when i tended bar we used to exactly. use that expression say, if you guys have that guys eight that guy's 86 out of here you know that we used to right. use i didn't i had no idea yep. now that i know that it's not going to do anything for me but i'm glad that i know <laughs> no, but that listen that useless information that'll be good in the trivia question yes uh, and you know, people, bill look don't say don't sell it short next time you're going to be walking down there you're going to walk by chumley's and you're going to say that fact you're going to say that fact and you're going to remember this face that's amazing. It. You know, people in the chat are saying, oh, you lived on Barrow Street. How fancy. What they don't know is right. my brother had this rent-controlled apartment. It was like a railroad flat. And when he first moved in there, I think he was paying $95 a month. And then when I moved in, he was still only, he was paying like two-something. And I, you know, he jacked my rent up. He made me, he made a profit off it. But I still, I was, uh, I was living there for real cheaply. And I lived there for like right. six and a half years. And uh, then finally, I moved out, and he continued to sublet it till he got caught. Joe Murray, thank you so much for the nine ninety nine super chat. Joe ah, Murray says chats. he says hi, Tom, my brother hey, Malaki Murray. He has been a tour guide at the Circle Line for over twenty years. Oh, cool! He has a channel, New York Talk, and he wrote a book, Unique New York. You should meet him. Okay, I definitely. Oh, that's will. pretty. That's pretty cool. I didn't. I had no cool. idea about that. And Malaki is a that's a big time Irish name. Yeah. Isn't the writer, it Malachi? The writer, Malachi, Malachi, yeah. Ma Malachi McCourt is the brother of um, Frank McCourt, who wrote Angela's Ashes. Oh, look at that. Look at the trivia. Who's talking about useless trivia? No, look here, at huh? that, man. I knew my education <laughs> would come in handy someday on a podcast, you know? Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, that's true. That's true, though. It's funny that people say it's funny, though, that that's the interesting thing. Like people talk about how now Greenwich Village is so fancy, but it wasn't like it was really like, uh, you know, and West Village, all that area near West Village today is like where Zuckerberg has a house, all this stuff. But, you know, like in the mid 1900s and the early in the early half of the 1900s, that was all docks and longshoremen. And like, you know, it was just the seediest part you could think of in Manhattan. That's a funny thing. People take that for granted. Now, today, waterfront is is like unanimous. It's like, you know, synonymous with money being on the water is synonymous. But back in the day, in the early 1900s, that was where all the industry was because that's where the ships pulled up and all that stuff. No one wanted to be on the waterfront in a city. If you wanted to be on the waterfront, you went to Newport, Rhode Island, or you went to the Hamptons or wherever. You know, that's where the rich people had their waterfront stuff, you know? The waterfront you know, was funny. In, in the city when they when they had like you said the the ships and stuff like that, there'd be hookers and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's another story. You know that story, right? Drug dealers. The story of hookers, right? So this is one of the theories. Okay, don't people are going to jump on me? There's multiple theories of where it came from, but this is one of the common accepted theories of where the word hooker came from. Okay, is Corlier's hook. Corlier's hook is part of the Lower East Side where there were lots of docks back in the 18 and early 1900s. And obviously, prostitutes hang out where the sailors are, so they called them hookers. Corlier's hook. That was a, yeah. that was the little area there. So very informational tonight, Tom. Uh, uh, there's another trivia for you. Uh, 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 amazing <laughs> trivia. You know, when I lived in the village, it was, I guess it was 1986 to about uh, 90, 92, and my car got stolen like twice. It all, all once off the Barrow Street and once off the Six Precinct block, and I was just like, this was New York City. <laughs> In the, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the eighties, in the late eighties. And I was like, 
I want to get the hell out of here. This is ridiculous. I can't even park my car with it. I'm broken into. And the one time, I think I had an 82 Buick in in 19. Uh, no, it was, well, it was 1986, 87. I had an 82 Buick. And as I said, they stole it twice. One time it got recovered in Jersey City. All the tires were gone. All the windows were smashed. And the damn insurance company fixed it. I didn't want them to fix it. I just wanted to check to get a different <laughs> car. But they fixed it. And I was like, and then it got stolen again. I was like, ah. Uh, they brought saw your music selection and just left the car in oh, Jersey. Yeah, like, yeah. My 77 WABC <laughs> was my music selection. Yeah, right. uh, uh, Schaffner, uh, thank you so much for the 499 Super oh, Chat. Suddenly nice. feel like I'm getting a real education now. Well, I told you, Tom Delgado is a smart guy. His father was a brain surgeon. He's a retired brain surgeon, right? And he's he's got a law degree, so he's got a lot of useless knowledge, but it comes in handy as a tour guide. Uh, Billy, should we clue him in on a few uh, cop uh, synonyms? Copisms, go ahead. Like, uh, any idea, if I referred to a bus, what would you think a bus is? And I'm not talking about, you know, a transportation bus. What would you think a bus is? A bus? I, I don't yeah. know. What's a bus? Billy, tell him what a bus is. A bus is an ambulance. Ah. So a cop, when he calls, he goes, uh, Central, can I get a bus to this location? It's old lingo. You know what? I, my f- favorite cop expression is Wait, We got to explain where it comes from, though. The reason they oh, call man, it I a don't bus. know. You, you, come on. You can tell. You <laughs> the reason the that they call it a bus is because a lot of times people, instead of you know getting up and getting themselves to the hospital, they call the ambulance, you know, I got a cold, and they take the ambulance Right. To the hospital, so it got the it got the nickname of the bus, and it just stuck. I mean, it, as long as I was on the job, I came on eighty two, and it was probably way before that. So, one of my favorite copisms is an expression called hairbag, and yeah. so, so I'm going to explain what I how this I was told one. it got the term was that old time cops they wouldn't spend in their their uh, their money because every year you get a uniform check. Mm. And they they would you get it right before Christmas, so they would use the check to buy presents for their kids. So as a result, their uniforms look horrible. So the 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 uniform it, it appeared like it was growing hair out of it. So it would that's where the expression came from. Oh, that guy's a hairbag, you know. Because they could have spent it on their kids' order gumada, or maybe they could have done that. Yeah, <laughs> they could have. That's that's very true. But there's a lot of different copisms. We have some cops. In the chat, if you guys have any good cop expressions, oh, you want a ton of them. There's a ton. Oh, of there's them. so many of them. But uh, Tom the Delgado, word collar, where, do, do we know where the word collar comes from? I I've heard a few stories about Lieutenant that. Lieutenant Pete Pranzo says salty. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that, that's a hairbag expression too, right, Lieutenant Pete? Yeah, that's the, the, salty. Is when you you know you're starting to get the hang of things, so to speak. So you get a little salty. I think that's a fisherman's term too, right? When you're on a boat a lot, you get your skin starts to get salty. But uh, what was the what was the one I was just thinking of? Um, uh, oh, a collar, a collar. Of course, the cop would grab. Years ago, they mm. took people in. They never put handcuffs on them. The cops would grab you and drag you in by your collar or uh, a pinch, which I guess. Uh, that one's kind of self-explanatory. A lot, a lot of wise guys like to use that. Yeah, I don't want to get pinched. Yeah, that was a big <laughs> right. wise guy term. You're right. right, right, right. The bulls. The when bulls, I was a kid, yeah. They, they referred to uh, detectives as the bulls. Or, and later years, because uh, I grew up right in the middle of Gravesend, there was a million wise guys. I mean, I was right around them. I worked in a Salamar- Italian Salamaria on Avenue U, and there was tons of wise guys back then. And uh, they would refer to, when they saw... 
either detectives or FBI agents, they would see them, you know, swing by where they go, oh, the agents are out there. I got to go out the back or something like that. They refer to them as agents. I think that kind of, that name still sticks today to refer to them as agents. And I think Sammy even used, uh, Sammy the Bull used that term. So uh, when he was talking about uh, it was Christmas time and the agents were outside his uh, his office on Stoll Avenue. And uh, when he came in, the girl says, oh, uh, so, uh, Maddie, Maddie. And I forget the second guy's name, Maddie and so and so are outside. And he's like, really? And he went and made uh, hot chocolate for them or something because it was freezing cold. It was near Christmas time. And he sent ganolis outside. And, ah, like, nice. and he goes, listen, listen, it's not a it's not a bribe or anything like that. Just uh, <laughs> I feel bad. It's Christmas time here. guy. Like, you know, and a lot of the, the heavy duty wise guys, they were on first name basis with the guys that were, you know, on, on the, uh, on the, on the case to uh, surveil them and stuff like that. Assigned to surveil. Them. You know, Tom, when we did our episode with Sammy, uh, in the very beginning of it, I, I, I don't want to pull it up right now, but the very beginning of it, because I know where all, all three of you guys are and I'm sending a hit team to your, oh, to your house. And I said, Sammy, don't forget, we're all strapped too. And we practice. <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. And he was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. true. <laughs> well, what, a, what so, a nice, what a nice way to start the interview. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we're all strapped here. So don't try to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it was funny too. Uh, somebody came on and, and they made a 999 super chat or of a fire, whatever it was. He goes, Hey, do uh, I get 50% of that? Yeah, that's oh, right. Nice. He was looking he was for a piece. He was looking for a piece of the super chat. I was like, yeah. Oh man, if that's not a wise guy's mentality, right? Right. Hey, do I get a taste, a do get a taste of that? What was my taste? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let he me wet, wet, let me wet my beak, like they yeah, used to right. say in The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mamachi, yeah. thank you so much for the $10 super chat. Fun oh, show Connie tonight. Galdos. Connie Galdos also gave a little super chat. That's nice. Thank you so much, Connie. I didn't yeah. I didn't say her name. But I, I, I saw it oh, there she is. There yeah. she is. Connie Galdos, thank you so much for yeah. the $5 super chat. Great crossover. Thank you. You must be a fan of uh, Tom Delgado. I don't recognize the I, name. Yeah, but I know, thank I know you. Connie. Yeah, she's very nice. That's great. I, I got to tell you guys this real quick. Now, I texted Tommy Dades. I said he was an encyclopedia, and I hope he's watching this. Now, I said, Tom, off the top of your head, we're going to be talking about mob hits in Brooklyn. And, you know, send me, you know, any, anything. He sent me like about eight of them. He's going into it. Oh, my God. All over Brooklyn. Uh, Galeone, Steve Piazza, Nick Rizzo, the Carini brothers, Santoro, Jimmy. Oh, my God. He, wow. he's, he's really, I tell you, he he's. He's really something. He's a walking. And you know, really, we'll do that when we do a show with Tom Delgado. We'll go I would on, love to. I would love we'll to go meet live him. on location, and we'll bring Tommy Dades yeah, with us. I would love to meet him. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I grew up in Gravesend, there were a few hits that were. There was uh, uh, a couple of guys. One of the guys' names was Tommy Schacchioli. I don't know. It was one of his first hits. It was early in his career. It had to be like the early '80s, somewhere around there, right around the corner from my house. Uh, two guys are walking down the block. Guys jump out to shoot them, and it was a father and son. And they ran up onto a porch and tried banging on the door. And these guys opened up with shotguns, and they killed. I, I believe they killed the father, and the and the son was injured. But they also one of the, one of the shotgun blasts went right through the door, and there was a retired nun that lived in the house. Oh. Uh, she had left the convent uh, and she was going to answer the door and the shotgun blast went right through the door and killed her. And Tommy Schacchioli was later, years later in the 90s, 
Uh, Ralph Dolds was killed. Who was a New York City housing police officer. He was targeted for death by another mobster. And Tommy Schiaccioli was on it. He wound up becoming an informant on it. And uh, I believe he became an informant. I'm not 100% sure about that. But there, there was talk about it, how when he did that first hit and they shot the uh, the nun, he said, I'm going to hell for this. And he used to actually go and pray every uh, once a week or something. He would go to a, a local church and he would go in the yard where the saints were and he would pray. And he he, he didn't change his ways of uh, of killing people. <laughs> You're right. Going after people. I think he was implicated <laughs> in the uh, Billy Cthulhu homicide was a mob boss in the, uh, in the uh, Colombo crime family. But uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he right around the corner from my house, we heard the shots and everything. And I, wow. I, think I, I don't think I was on the job. It was either right before I got on the job or right after. So that was a big hit. And then there was, there was another one during the Colombo mob war when I actually worked in the six O squad, Colombo mob war was going on early nineties. And uh, they killed a guy by the name of Nicky black Renacio, who I happened to have known him growing up. I, you know, knew who he was. He, the, the deli where I worked, the Salmarie, he used to come in there. And uh, one of the things about him was I'll never forget when they, they blew up a guy uh, who had a Cadillac and the bomb, uh, the under, undercarriage of the Cadillac had steel and, and the bomb didn't kill him. It, it, it injured him. A guy by the name of Frank Copa. And after that, all the wise guys in the neighborhood got his electric start. No, they got the electric start on the car where nobody oh. had them. It was brand new. So Nikki Black comes into the Sala Maria and it was the cold winter time. And he's oh, look at my car across the street. And I'm like, what do you mean? Just check it out. And he watched this and he pulls out this big remote, look like a beeper, and he, he hits it. And all of a sudden you see the, the tailpipe, the from the you know, it was cold out, the puff of smoke. Oh, I got the electric start. And it was like he was looking out that nobody was gonna blow oh. him up and then yeah, because it, everyone one was paying Philly 50 cents to start their car. Oh, <laughs> not me. Not me. I was around a lot of those guys, believe me, and I saw a lot of things, but uh, I didn't get that close, you know. Carrie Bender, thank you for the $5 yeah, super Carrie. chat. Uh, Angelica Galdos, thank Hi, you for the $2 cool. super chat. Ultimate Hi, sick plug. Thank you, guys. You know, I wanted to just play a short part of the, uh, the video that I did with you, and this is right near the end. And I think this is a this oh, was pretty this was pretty exciting for me, you know. Wait, don't tell me oh we go. So that was so just just so that wasn't totally gratuitous music uh playing. <laughs> That was actually so, Phil. I don't know if you know this, but that was the song that Bob Dylan wrote about uh, Joey Gallo. Yes, yes. He wrote, after he died, actually, he wrote a song about Joey Gallo uh, because of I guess his story was so interesting, or whatever. But um, yeah, me and Bill played it, and I dressed up like Bob Dylan—a pretty bad, pretty bad impersonation there. But you know, <laughs> that what? was great. That All was good. good fun. Listen, I can't, I can't shut Tommy off. He's still sending me. I love it. I love it. He's, he, when we say he's an encyclopedia, he's unbelievable. You, 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 you poked a hornet's nest, Phil. You poked a hornet's nest. Listen, I talk to Tommy every day. We touch base with each other once a day. Well, you know, a couple of times a day. But when I talk to him, and we'll talk about what's going on, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then if I start to get on the subject of anything organized crime, I'll say, Tommy, you remember that time? He'll go into that story. He'll explain details you can't believe. Then that takes him to another story right. related to another story. And before you know it, I'm on the phone with him for 45 minutes and I asked him one question, you know? Right. You're like, I'm late to my daughter's soccer practice. Thanks a lot. What's <laughs> right, your problem? Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Look, look at, look at that on the screen. Uh, Gotham comedy club. 
Yeah, you, must be, you, you must be very close to making it big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is the guitar and, and the instruments part of your act? No, no, that was just a, I did a different show. That was a different show I did there once a little while back. That's a, that's the flyer for the show we do every week, every Wednesday. Uh, that's my co-host. Her name's Courtney McGinnis, who's very funny. That's a, that's a flyer from when it was virtual over, um, over pandemic. Uh, and those are just pictures from the show. We've been doing that show for like six years. We do in the, in, uh, the lower, I'm sorry, not the lower side, uh, uh, alphabet city every, uh, every Wednesday at seven 30 at third and B Phil, uh, Bill's actually done it. Bill's actually and done it. Before. Remember Tom, yeah, remember yeah. this show? I do remember that show. You know, I, you know, what was funny about this show. You did a bit where the yes. people in the balcony started throwing money down onto they started the stage. Throwing money onto, they started throwing coins onto the stage. <laughs> Oh, I saw a couple of bills or some bills, but people were, were throwing coins. And that's why I was like, I got to get off stage. <laughs> Did you have safety glasses on? No, I didn't have safety glasses on. And then coins were starting to, I could hear them like, ding, ding, just hitting all the stage. I'm like, oh crap. Uh, all right. Bits over guys. Let's, uh, let's move you know, on. Ph you know, Philly, it's funny. I did his show twice on third and have you been, as I said, the, the audience is really very close to you. Yeah. And it, it's, that's a good feeling for a performer. Yeah. But I, I mean, I love stand-up comedy, but it's it's just too much right now. You know, like the hustle of it is more than, you know, you could drive into the city. It could take you an hour and a half each way to do five minutes. Yeah. You know, it, that's the nature of the business. So right. it's like, it's too, it's like diminishing returns of, uh, unless you're real young and you think that's well, what Bill, you should, you should. Like. So here's an idea. You and Phil should start your own weekly show. You guys could uh, you guys could perform on <laughs> your weekly show. Police off the cuffs. Don't police give off. Phil any more ideas. He's going to be doing stand-up before you know it. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You guys should start your own police off the cuff weekly show. You guys can get uh, your your fan base and all the people who love your stuff to come in every week, and then it'll grow. It'll grow. And it'll grow before you know it. Phil Grimaldi is going to be playing Madison Square Garden. What you're talking about comedy now? Are you talking? Comedy? Oh, I'm talking about comedy, Phil. All right. I don't know. I I have to really. I don't know. Brush up on that. I don't know how funny I am. But... Tom, but no, Tom. Bill, you're a funny guy. You, I'm here to. Yeah, how am I funny? How am I funny? How am I funny? Yeah, right. <laughs> he always calls me Joe Pesci. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Tommy's you know, still texting me. It's amazing. He won't stop. Tom, let me ask you something. What, yeah. um, out of all the neighborhoods that you've uh, done a tour on your tour guide stuff and uh, shows that you've done in neighborhoods, What's your favorite neighborhood to do uh, a tour on? Well, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I always like taking people outside of me. When I, so I, I used to do more actual public tours and stuff like that. And I do little private tours here and there. People will contact me through the YouTube channel and stuff. And I'll do those every now and then. But my favorite place to take people is to take people out of Manhattan and to take them to places they you know would never have gone to. Uh, so like the other day, I took people to Jackson Heights. And, uh, and Elmhurst and Flushing and, you know, people's heads explode because they see that and they're like, what is it? They like, I didn't know this existed. You see all these people, you're, you know, there's, it's all Bangladeshi and Chinese and, and Latino and all this, there's not everything but white people. And so you just look around and you're like, this feels like a what's, different what's, country. What's wrong with white people? No, nothing's wrong with white people. But I'm just saying like <laughs> when you're in Manhattan, you get a very different sense, you know, and then you go to these places and you're like, this is like a different country. You know, you're, you're hearing all these different. So for example, Jackson Heights is you know 167 languages spoken there in this area that's like the size of half of central park you know that's insane you know think of that you know and then you place like elmhurst flushing with the chinatown and all the history from the even the 1600s and and all the history of tolerance and acceptance of different religions and people it's all this like crazy stuff that people 
don't know exists. Obviously, people know about the Statue of Liberty, the Empire State Building, and you know all that stuff. But when they get to these places, they're like, "Oh, this is where the quote you New York experience is happening now." You know. Well, you know, Tom, uh, yeah. Phil and I, Phil and I refer to certain locations as a one or two magazine location. Or where you have to read in one or two that, magazines. No, that, that, there. That, no, no. That means that you, you, I could use the word clip. Oh, you clip. Need, it's so dangerous <laughs> that you need an extra clip. So that's a two clip location. So that's, uh, funny. Yeah. that's funny. That's funny. Wait, which, which, which one? Elmhurst? No, no, I don't well, think those areas are so bad. Now, he's no, talking like, about like if when we worked in bad areas. Oh, okay. like, do a die, Ben Stye, like Pat yeah. Russo runs sure. the boxing program. Mm-hmm. And he, he he was the gym was in a place where I said, "Is that a one or two clip location?" He goes, "You better you better bring a second clip." That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. It's, it, it's funny because you, you're talking about areas of uh, New York specifically. I could talk about Brooklyn down by the waterfront. That yeah. 25 years ago, right. I'd be comfortable there with my two guns on me. But right. now it's all gentrified. They right. put hotels up, buildings, restaurants. My daughter's birthday is tomorrow, and we're going out to a restaurant right there in between the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge, a restaurant by the name of Sacconi's. It's right on the waterfront there and really, really nice. But, uh, you know, going back to the comedy thing, though, a little bit, yeah, it's a shame. Like, if you look at a movie, like, to me, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen was Blazing Saddles. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was just line after line of funny stuff. And today, it seems like comedy is so caught up in the uh, politically correct and the cancel culture. You can't say this and that. That that always seemed to be like, you know, they made fun of the president from, you know, Johnny Carson days when I was a kid. It was okay to do that, you know? And now it's just like uh, they make fun of the president in like a malicious way and you can't say certain things. And it's a shame because... People need to laugh, you know, and, uh, well, well, I will say this, like, I can, I can see what you're saying. There is blowback and people get, you know, um, you know, there's the, these like back and forths about certain jokes and stuff, but I will say this on the other hand, one of the beautiful things about today is that you don't need to go to NBC. You don't need to go to those places for your comedy. You can go like YouTube, you can go there. It's yeah. everywhere. And yeah. so the, the gatekeepers no longer serve the gatekeeping function. So these people who are getting in trouble for a joke and they don't get to host the Oscars or whatever, fine. Like, are they really, you know, being blocked from doing comedy when there are all these other avenues? I mean, you look at like what we're doing right now. This wouldn't have been possible 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Good point. And so, so in the end of the day, like if you do have a certain type of comedy you want, there is someone doing it out there. It may not be, you know, at 830 on on NBC, but it's somewhere. So I think that's a beautiful thing that I think that like, I'm trying to take advantage of you and Bill are trying to take advantage of. And I think, uh, at the end of the day, I think that's kind of the nice thing to, to remember that in the end, like it's hard to cancel someone today truly because there are all these other ways to kind of reach your audience, you know? For sure. That's Scotty cool. Wagner. Thank you for the four ninety nine super chat. He's Scotty Wagner says, how about a tour of famous murders? In the projects oh, throughout right. New York City, I could get that's, Bill to help me with that one. Bill, you have yeah, some. Yeah, well, that's well, a three clip location. That's yeah, yeah, that's, you got to bring it. Yeah, an extra gun too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always remember this murder in the two three precinct because it was so horrible. A brother, it was on a hundred street and First Avenue. I I remember the guy's name, but I'm not going to say it because you know someone could be listening. But uh, a brother shot and killed his own brother right in the head. He shot his brother right in the head on the hundred street and First Avenue. And it was just like, to me, I just, it was, of course, drug related. Were they kids? I, were they old? How no, old they, they were, I'd say they were 18 to 21. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, really, you killed your brother over, uh, over drugs, you know? 
the real reality of uh, he should have just done what brothers normally do just give him a nice good wedgie instead you know yeah, that's right uh, or a noogie a noogie <laughs> or something like you that. Know, a nice hard wedgie and just call it call it even Billy, in the early 80s, there was a uh, – I can't mention the names because I grew up around these guys, but there was a guy from the neighborhood, four or five brothers. Uh, one of them was a maid guy. Uh, I'm not even sure what family he was in, but a maid guy. And he had a brother who was a junkie, a drug addict. And uh, the brother was right in the area where where the, the guy who was the maid guy was like his area. And he would – 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, he was uh, – he had a uh, – a chain attached to a car and he was pulling the gate off of a store to burglarize it. Somebody went and told the brother. So the brother pulled up, he got out with a rifle. And he's what the fuck is wrong with you? And he fired a, a couple of shots at the brother. And he aimed it at the floor. One of the shots skipped off the floor, hit the brother and killed him. Oh, and uh, the, the, the guy who did it, he wound up, in, I don't think he was ever charged with the murder. He wound up in jail and he died in jail. He had, he had AIDS, but uh, made guy. And uh, like you said, you know, uh, killed his own brother. You know, uh, Tom, we're just going to take a quick break because uh, yeah, sure. Joe, Mur Joe Murray's in the chat and we got to do his commercial. Okay. <laughs> Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate or do you need a podcaster? Well, Joe Murray <laughs> is your man. He is not only an experienced trial attorney. He's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. You know, Joe Murray's been very instrumental in, in helping uh, me out and Absolutely. helping the Police Off the Cuff podcast. And uh, I just want to mention that Joe now has his own podcast nice, uh, with, with his girlfriend, Angie, called Allegedly Guilty. And if you like him on our podcast, don't like him so much on his. Like him on ours. <laughs> <laughs> like him on both. Thumbs yeah, up like on him on both. both. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be giving him a plug if I didn't like him. So Joe well, has a podcast people, called Allegedly Guilty. And he also has a mean left hook, as someone can attest to. He was on the PBA boxing team as yeah. a heavyweight for years. Oh, cool. And, and he had to flee the job when the job went after him. And now he's a lawyer. So just like Tom Delgado, maybe they could start a uh, a law firm. Podcast yeah, maybe, maybe, law. maybe I can file papers for him if things go south for me. I can go file papers for him. You can come up with an office like, you know, Podcast comedy law. We got to figure out a way to get it all under one umbrella. You know? Yeah, maybe I'll just tell jokes to everyone while they wait in the lobby for yeah. <laughs> for their appointment or something. Are you here for boxing lessons or are you here to see the lawyer? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. That's great. Joe Murray's good man, though. Good man. And he really is. He showed on this show. We've, you know, we're kidding around a lot tonight, but we've done some real serious um, cases over the last few, four or five months. And Joe has given us some expert uh, analysis about the law. Uh, we've challenged one another. Bill and I have challenged him. We've, uh, we haven't always agreed, but we've always been re very, very respectful to one another. And uh, he does make some good points. He knows the law inside and out. And if you really are in trouble, I tell you, he, uh, he's definitely the guy to, uh, to call upon to help you out. All right. You know, Tom, is there a neighborhood now in New York City that you haven't done a tour in? Oh, well, I, I haven't done videos in a lot of the neighborhoods. I mean, first of all, it takes a lot of time to do those things. So while walking around, each one of those videos is like 30 minutes long. 
Um, so I have yet to do, I'm, I'm working on one through the South, uh, part of the South Bronx. It's obviously a very big area. I've talked to a few uh, business owners there and stuff, trying to set up a video there. Uh, also one in Harlem and all that, but I want to do them justice. So I'm really trying to, trying to make them deep dives and, uh, interview some business owners and stuff like that. But yeah, there's a lot of neighborhoods that I haven't done videos on. I've done a lot of different back when I did actual walking tours, I did pretty much every neighborhood in Manhattan, a bunch in Brooklyn, Queens. I was in the Bronx. I've been even to Staten Island to do to do tours. So I've been all over. You know, Tom, there's not a more difficult place to get to in this world than Staten Island. Yeah. My you know, God. it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because um, I was just talking about this to someone else and how all the neighborhoods are getting expensive. Even Queens now. We're talking about Queens is getting also slowly gentrified, getting too expensive. But but they're saying I read this book. Uh, it's called uh, A Super Sad True Love Story, but it's about New York in like 70 years. And in this book, they predict that Staten Island is going to be like the hipster haven where all the young people live and where it's cool to live and everyone's going to be taking the ferry back and forth and all this stuff. And so, so don't, uh, don't not, no, I'm not, like, I'm not putting it down. I think once yeah. you get there, it's nice. Yeah. But sure. Getting there is hell. It is, it is. absolute hell. A little bit of a problem to get to Staten Island. We used to refer to it as the Guinea gangplank because there were right. a lot of Italians in Staten Island <laughs> with the Verrazano Bridge. Yeah. And, uh, to get through that, you know, I, I got to go into Brooklyn sometimes and, uh, to get through Staten Island is always a heartache. That bridge, there's, there always seems to be traffic and construction and whatnot. Yeah, yeah I think that's what Bill was getting at. That. There's oh, no sure. train that goes there. It's either no. the Verrazano Bridge. There is the uh, Bayonne yeah. Bridge. And, and I think that bridge is like, the, uh, the last time I went over, it was 13 bucks. Yeah, I oh, think it's they, even more now. The, the, the VZ is uh, 19 now. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, well, so Jerry, Dibbs, Jerry Dibbs, thank you so much for the $10 oh, super chat. And she says... Uh, Bensonhurst. Do, do they want you to do Bensonhurst? Yeah, we could do some mob. We could do some mob hits in Bensonhurst, yeah, and we could. could also stop at Spumoni Gardens. Like, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Listen, listen, Tom. Have you ever been in that area, like the Coney Island Graves and Bensonhurst area? Did you do I've anything been in that there? area. Okay, so are yeah. you familiar with L and B Spumoni Gardens? I've never eaten there. No. Okay, well, L and B, they're relatives of mine, distant mm. relatives, and Bill and I have been there. They filmed just recently. There's there's a series called Gravesend that's filming right now. It's like uh -huh. a mob uh, '80s uh, uh, series, and they filmed there. Yeah, that's the night we were there. Uh, that oh, was nice. one of the, the desserts that they served us, but uh, but th there's always movies being filmed there and stuff like that. There we are at L and B. That was about, uh, I guess, about a month or two ago. But uh, there's a lot of things happened in that area. Like when I was growing up, they filmed the French Connection around yes. there. Yep. I mean, the greatest chase scene in modern yeah, times. The famous, you know, yeah, the famous chase. Yep. Yeah, that was right near my house. Right, It's right down the block from L&B Spumoni Gardens where his first crash is. And then I actually worked in the 6-0 and covered the projects where the shooting starts and all of that. So I know all mm. about that. And then years later, I would say probably about 10 years ago, they filmed a movie, maybe more. Uh, Russell Crowe about uh, the drug dealer uh, Frank Barnes. What was mm. the name of that movie, Billy? You, you remember? Oh, that I, know, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name. It was of the Russell Crowe. Was about the, yeah, the yeah. Uh, Frank. Was it Frank Lucas or Frank? Yes. Frank yeah. Frank yeah. Barnes? 
Frank yeah, Lucas. Yeah. Anyhow, so and, and was right in that same area, the Marlboro projects, the Marlboro houses, and my partner and I had homicides in that uh, in that project. And uh, wasn't Bensonhurst also where where the the um, uh, also Saturday Night Fever wasn't that Bensonhurst? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, right. Was, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. funny because uh, about uh, three years ago, John Travolta came back. It was American Gangster. Someone in the chat said That's American, it. That's gangster. American, American Gangster. American right. Gangster. Yeah, that was filmed there. But but. Uh, John Travolta, that was like a, a, a very iconic movie. Uh, yeah, Saturday Lenny's Night Pizza, Pizza, right? Yeah, Lenny's Pizza. Yeah. He came back to, Len I, think yes. it was, I think it was the 50th anniversary, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. He came back to Brooklyn, and I was actually bodyguarding um, Willie DeMeo, who's the, the producer, the creator, the actor, the lead actor of this Graves End show. Mm. And he asked me to come down with another guy, and we bodyguarded him. And, you know, I got pictures on my phone. Cool. Bo Deedle was there and all the people that were uh, – He was, it was right around the time he was doing the movie. It was a Gotti movie that John Travolta played That's John right. Gotti That's and right. Willie DeMeo pay, played Sammy the Bull. So they had all the people from the cast. It was like a crush of people. It was a million people came down. They thought it was going to be a couple of thousand. It turned out to about 15, 20,000 people. That's came. crazy. Uh, his, Joe, his Joe, Murray, Joe Murray says, uh, thank you again, Joe, for the 499 Super Chat. He says, Tommy, a laughing jury is not a hanging jury. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, you know, Bensonhurst and, and Phil, you and uh, Tommy Dades, I'm sure know a lot of the history from that oh, neighborhood. Absolutely. But someone in the chat says, Bill, you clearly like Spumoni Gardens. Well, if, if, you don't, <laughs> if you don't know the square pizzas they have, it's unbelievable. It's like I almost feel like going out now and getting one, but it'd be yeah. like a two-hour drive each way. You, you know, you yeah. Billy. I told you before I went to bring my daughter some stuff in Staten Island. She goes to Wagner College, and I went to bring it, and I brought her pizza. We had pizza from I, – I took it home Sunday night, and I, I her and our friends got it there. It it's it's unbelievable. Phil gave me two large pies to go that night, you know. So You're not supposed to say anything. I'm getting <laughs> trouble. <laughs> I brought one home, and my son was staying overnight. He lives in the city. He took it home. We froze one. He took it home. And Philly told me, what you have to do is to revive it. You just pour a little bit of olive oil there on you it. you go. And then you heat <laughs> it up. He goes, it's it's right back to the yeah. – and he, that's what he did. He said it was unbelievable. Okay, was okay. Food? Listen, guys, I get it. Listen, I'll let you guys buy me dinner come there on, already. Come on, come on. <laughs> this talk is. That's fine. You guys can buy me dinner there. I'm excited for it. <laughs> listen, it's really a historic place, though, too, because yeah. it's a business over 80 years. Sure. It's a real family place. Anybody that ever lived in Brooklyn always comes back there. If they live out in Long Island and they're coming mm. in for different things. They always stop there or the other way from Jersey. They come in, you know, if they're going out to the city or something. So, and Billy, how good was the food though? They're it was no amazing. And you know what was the coolest thing? As I walked in, two uniform cops go, Aren't you cannon from police off the cuff? Yes, I, <laughs> and I was like, wow. I felt like a celebrity. I was like, that's wow, that's cool. likes it so much. Cops yeah, exactly. I, I was sure. I was recognized. You yeah. know, you know what's funny about that? I told Billy that story like two months before. The same cop came up to me. He goes, one of the guys was talking to him. And I went over and I said, how you doing, guy? I used to work in the 6 squad, Phil Grimaldi. He goes, wait, Phil Grimaldi from Police Off the Cuff? I go, yeah, it's a matter of fact. That's what I and then the same guy got Billy. And then oh, I, I saw him the other, I saw him Sunday night. He's like, hey, what's going on? How's the show? You know, he's really <laughs> into it. Good guy. I think he's from PSA 1 in Coney Island, a, a housing cop. 
I'm Amazing. not mistaken. I forget his name. I'm so bad with names. I should have mentioned it. But uh, my cousin Lenny is the chef at LMB. He's been there since he's a teenager, uh, just about when he could start walking. He started working there, and he's uh, married into the family. And uh, it's a great place. And if we get together, Tom, maybe we'll collaborate there and then figure out what we're going to do in the area with Coney Island, Abe Rellis. When and we get together. When That's we right, get together, when. Phil. That's right. That's right. Exactly. When. when we get together. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going there. Bring the film crew. Bring the I'm, film. I'll bring crew. it. Don't you worry. Yeah, that sounds forget. amazing. And I'd heard, I'd heard of Spumoni. I'd heard of it before. I'd never been though. Never been. Yeah, yeah. And don't forget the cannolis. Leave the gun. Take the <laughs> Leave the gun. Take the cannolis. Come on. There you go. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a scene from that movie that was filmed just a few blocks away on East Fifth Street, mm -hmm. off of like Avenue T, where uh, Clemenza's house was. When when he's right before that hit, he comes out of the house and the, the driver picks him up, and they wound up killing the driver. Uh -huh. I think that was Paul. You know. Uh -huh. Paul. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm vaguely picturing the house in my head. Yes, yes, that's right in the area too. So a lot of different things took place in that area of Brooklyn over yeah. the years. Hey, hey, Phil, that was the greatest line in The Godfather when the, the character uh, played by Fish says to Tom Hagen, "Hey Tom, anything you can do for me? For me yeah. All time sick." Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, good business. Sorry, can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> a lot great. of famous people come from that area too. Like uh Harvey Keitel came in LMB one night. He lived in Brighton. Uh I believe that uh Neil Diamond went to La uh, Lincoln High School. Um Whoa, Neil from the area. I think I think she went to Erasmus though, a little further down in Brooklyn, not in that, exactly in that area. But yeah, a lot of famous people come wow. from that area. So Neil Diamond was like one of the CDs that my mom had like two CDs growing up and that was one of them. And so every time I hear Neil Diamond, I just think I'd ride around in my mom's van. Hear the Neil song. Di coming, Neil Diamond's got to be close to America. <laughs> right. He's got to be close to 80 years old, I would think. Oh, right? yeah. Like 130 or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. 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 He's up there. He's he's an oldie but goodie. Yeah. Oldie but goodie. That's, uh, that's definitely, I mean... Uh, You'll definitely get a crowd going with with Sweet Caroline. That's where that's going to be. Oh, I think yeah. for, in four hundred years, of Hunt the Mountain. We used to go up to Hunt the Mountain and the Hunt the Village Inn. They'd have a happy hour, and everybody'd be going crazy when that song came on. Oh yeah, I think that's going to be the song that, like, in three hundred years, people will be singing it in the metaverse or wherever we are. But uh, <laughs> Sweet Caroline, yeah. Our oh, so good, so good, so yeah. good, so right. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So uh, what are you doing with your music? You're still playing guitar and singing I play a songs? Little bit. I play a little bit of uh, guitar. I Actually, when I first moved to New York, I was playing music at open mics before I started uh, doing comedy and stuff. I was playing a little bit of music, but I just play for fun now. It's it's, uh, it's fun. I, I I prefer the uh, the old nylon string. I got the little nails to prove it there, the little nails. Are you really? It's a little yeah. finger pluck and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I have the, I have a Cordoba uh, uh, nylon string. I, I, I played I played that guitar, and because you were yeah. playing the you were playing the Taylor, so yeah, I yeah, said. yeah. So I have the steel string, I have electric, and I have the the nylon string. And I, my favorite is the nylon. I don't know why. I just like the finger. I love the Jim Croce. That's my big thing. That's right. I, I like that kind of like finger pick too. is my stuff, man. I love it. That's great. So uh, you know, so, yeah. folks, uh, tonight this was a little bit of a different type show than we normally do, but it's a lot of fun. I like trying something different. I said we may not get the thousand people in the chat, but we're gonna have a hell of a lot of fun. And it's so great to have Tom to see you here tonight. And uh yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. You know, it, was, it was also nice to meet Phil. I feel like uh I had to pass the Phil Grimaldi test. And I wonder if, <laughs> I wonder if I did. This is a lot of pressure. This is a lot of pressure coming in. I wore my best shirt. 
Yeah, I, I, and, what, and what's, what's with the hair, man? You grow, you grew your hair real long. How your mom and dad feel about that now? <laughs> you got a law degree and long hair, and you're, you're not Uh-oh. doing what they wanted you to do. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, the, you know, I'm bringing it back. Maybe one day uh, there'll be people wearing suits into court, wearing with long hair and beards. But, <laughs> Ron uh, Kobe, Ron, you're not trying to pull off a Ron Kobe, are you? Kobe, there you go. You can do it. It could be, it could be done. So Listen, he's a roach though. He's a roach. He's, he's a shifty <laughs> lawyer. I don't know about him. I met him quite a few times on cases and, uh, he's, he's, he comes in as friendly, but he's not so friendly. But. Wait, hold on a second. Are you claiming that there's a lawyer who is acting one way and is really another way? <laughs> you got it, baby. You got it. Is that what you're claiming? Yeah, I certainly that's a big it, claim but... right there, Phil. I don't know if that holds water, but uh, I'll take your word on that. You know, we, we was... were investigating a homicide, and we went uh-huh. looking for a guy that you know that we were rounding up everybody, trying to talk to people. It was a cop homicide. Matter of fact, I mentioned it earlier, the Ralph Dole's homicide. Uh-huh. So his client, uh, you know, we went looking for him, and uh, we put the word out, talked to a few of his friends. The guy was a leader of a gang in Coney Island, and I get a call from him. He says, "Oh, you looking for my client?" I says, "Yeah, you know, we like." to speak to him. He goes, well, he's not going to speak to you. This and that, da, 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 da. He goes, uh, uh, can I have your phone number? I need to send you a fax. And he sent me like this nasty fax that if we went looking for his client, that he was going to uh, have us in federal court on a civil Ugh. rights uh, lawsuit and, you know, like that. So but uh, he wasn't my favorite lawyer. You, you know, know, you always have to ask a lawyer, can I, uh, counsel, can I have your license number? Uh, pull out your card now. A guy could be at a phone booth in a two-clip location, you know, and you got to get him to take his card out, give you his license number. They don't yeah, like yeah. that. You know, they don't like it. I remember when I was a, a young cop when I had to testify, I, I took, like, defense attorneys to be so adversarial. Like, when they said, when I'd be on the stand, they'd say, good morning, officer, I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't say it back to them because I wanted them to know the shit was on. So don't be saying good. Don't be saying good morning to me because I have so. Says no- who? Says who? It's a good morning. Get out of here. Good morning, officer. Billy, I got to tell Tommy this real quick about. I told you this story before. I, I make a collar and I go through the night and I haven't slept since the day before. And a judge wants me in court on a hearing. And I said, are you kidding me? And the boss calls me. He says, listen, you got to get, you're in, you're downtown Brooklyn already. You're in central booking. Get right to court. They want right away. So I go down there. I'm like not dressed or anything, you know, half asleep. I go in there and I meet the defense attorney out in the uh, hallway. First I meet the DA and the DA said, well, this is defense attorney. And it was a very pretty, very attractive young lady. She goes, oh, officer, I'm so sorry. She goes, I know that you didn't sleep all night. I'm, I'm going to be quick. I promise. Just a couple of quick questions. I promise I'll, I'll make it quick. I said, all right, please. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, so I get up there, I get sworn in, you know, and officer, isn't it true that on this day that you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Whoa, okay, lady, is that how it's gonna be, huh? You know, but uh, she tried, and then afterwards, she, you could, I hope you don't take offense. I was just doing my job, you know. I said, Yeah, yeah, all right, thank you. Have a good one. <laughs> so, I was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as a woman, you know. Lawyers know how to put it on, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, lawyers can okay. put it on. That was early so, on in the career, taught me a lesson. So, so Tom, what's uh, what's your next uh, What's your next video going to be on? So I did a video. I shot a video uh, yesterday. It's actually on different celebrity crimes in New York. I'm going to be editing that here uh, in the next couple of days. So like Warhol's shooting, when Warhol got shot in Union Square, uh, you know, Sid Vicious, that whole Sid Vicious sponging thing, the, uh, the, Dan Rather, the Dan Rather getting beat up. Oh, I love that one. What's That's the frequency, a, Kenneth? What's the frequency? <laughs> the Do you know the story, I'm, Phil? 
I don't. So the story is basically that Dan Rather was beat up out, outside in the Upper East Side just randomly by this guy who kept yelling out, what's the frequency, Kenneth? Kenneth, what's the frequency? And and this guy never really got – they never caught him until later on some guy was arrested for murdering an NBC technician who wouldn't let him into the Today Show. And this guy basically tells and, and confesses to this thing, and he was completely insane. He beats up Dan Rather. Dan Rather even mentioned it on the news. He talks about how he got beat up and people don't need to worry and all that stuff. But it was such a weird, crazy story because this guy thought there was a chip in his brain and the, the frequency thing was about uh, how to get the frequency to stop beaming these things to his brain. And it was such a crazy story that R.E.M. actually wrote a song about it, a hit song about it called What's the Frequency, Kenneth? Wow. And, and it all happened to Dan Rather in like, I think it was like 86 or 87, but it's a crazy story. And it happened right there. Yeah, yeah. I, never, I, don't, I don't remember hearing that one. That's yeah. uh, maybe in the 80s. I was too busy being a cop, 86. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was in anti-crime getting, and running around like a lunatic. And, uh, you were too busy getting yelled at by the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was the Dan Rather one, and also too, the, obviously the John Lennon, the John Lennon yeah. uh, case is on that was there. A shame. That really was a shame. Yeah, that really is a sad story. That's a yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy story. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the, the I thought the Warhol one was interesting too. It's an interesting story, and but uh, yeah, those those stories, and uh, you know, and I I have that you know the mob one. I, I'm trying to do like a little a few few videos on the true crime here in New York because I never really gave it much attention, and I uh, I want to kind of focus on it for a few videos and then move on. You know, you Tom, know what? Uh, L&B gets a lot of tours there. Around this time yeah. of the year, they get the, the pizza tour, and they yeah. also get the uh, the Christmas lights in Diker Heights. The Christmas light Diker Heights. I went there yeah. last year. Yeah. yeah, they take them on in a bus, and they bring yeah. them to have pizza and a Spumoni, which is mm-hmm. the things you go to L&B Spumoni Gardens for. And then they take them to go look at the lights or vice versa, you know? And then yeah. the pizza tour, they just go around. They get like a, a slice of pizza and then a little something from three or four different pizzerias, famous pizzerias, you know? But uh, – yeah, so I'll have to, I'm definitely going to go check it out. We are definitely going to yes, go check we it out. Definitely do that. We'll put that together for sure. That's right. And then maybe we'll uh, we'll have it. We'll air it on the show. So that'll be great. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm down for that. That's I'm, I'd love to go. Uh, me and Bill, we were we we drove around, and Bill gave me his stories. It's time to hear yours. Uh, yeah, Bill. I was show, I was showing him some of the uh, hot spots in uh, El Barrio in Spanish Harlem, that's right. and that's how we wound up at Rayo's. And yeah. that's actually a pretty interesting story. Oh yeah, yeah the, the the Rayo's murder. You know, it's just that uh, it was a story of like disrespect and yeah. just uh, some guy Honor. just lo- losing yeah. it. An yeah. old guy at the bar named Louis Lump Lump, Louis Barone. <laughs> His name was Louis Barone. He was 67 years old. A Broadway singer was singing a song in the mm-hmm. bar. And uh, this wise guy at, at the bar, I think his last name was Chickatelli. He was a made guy. And he says out loud, he goes, I wish that whaling slut would shut the hell up, right? So this old guy, Louis Barone, says, hey, buddy, show a little respect That's to right. this woman. What are you crazy? He goes, show us some respect. So he says, he looks at him, he goes, I'll do this to you in the ass. And he says to him, no, you won't. And he pulls out a gun and shoots him dead right at the bar. That's crazy. And he walks out and there's a police van right there. They grab him. The gun is still, you know, he left the gun on the floor. They grabbed the gun. And when they interrogate, when they interviewed him, they said, why are you carrying a gun? And he goes, orange alert, the terrorist alert. That's why That's he said so he was funny. carrying a gun. It was, and he died in prison. He and he, he was an old school guy that believed yeah. in respect. That's what that was. Yeah, you know? yeah. He was a, he was like a fringe uh, mobster. He wasn't a made guy, but he was like a bookie. And you know, he lived right around Pleasant Avenue there. You know, so yeah. uh, 
And and no one in Rayo saw a thing. Vinny the Vest was ducking down, funny? mixing drinks. You know, yeah. it was it, it was like we were so pissed at them because they were all like so uncooperative. But he was and still one, convicted, right? He's convicted anyway. Oh yeah, right? well yeah, yeah, he pled guilty. He, yeah. he got he got uh, he pled guilty to manslaughter, and he died in prison like five or six years. He was sixty seven years old. So. You know that's that to me is one of the one of the craziest things. We're talking about the mob thing, like the idea of what is it? I think they call it omerta or whatever. The idea you don't talk, you don't you don't squeal, you don't. And to me, it's like amazing. Like the story, for example, of Costello getting shot when he got shot in, uh, he got shot the Majestic, the, the apartment building. When Frank Costello got, they tried to kill him. Vinny, uh, Vinny the Chin actually mm -hmm. was the one who shot him. And Costello knew it was him who shot him and he would not testify. He said he didn't see who did it. The only person who even said he saw anything was this was the security guard there, but it wasn't enough to convict Vinny the Chin. So when the, when the case was over, Vinny the Chin comes out and actually says, hey, thanks, Frank. He says he <laughs> thanks the guy that he actually tried to kill. He thanks him for not actually testifying. Isn't that crazy to me? That oh, you know, you know, and Costello got a Passover. They didn't try to kill him anymore. Yeah. Right. They no, didn't you know he actually, because it pushed him to retire. He retired yeah. is what he did. So because of that hit, a failed hit, he retired. He said, all right, I'm out. And he retired yeah. from there. Right. Well, you know, was an, an, another amazing thing that I find amazing is the uh, – and um, Sammy the Bull kept saying, that's Cosa Nostra. That's yeah. Cosa Nostra. Right. And this guy, Sonny Black, yeah, he was the guy who introduced uh, Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco, right. The, the real Joe Pistone. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he, he, he said, he's a good guy. He's my guy, blah, 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 blah. And when he found out that Joe Pistone was an FBI agent, he just went to a bar. He gave the bartender his wallet, his right. rings, his keys to his car. And he just... When he, in. Got he, in. he got yeah. called he got in. He got called in to get killed. Yeah. And he just he he knew he was he was get it and he went anyhow. He knew it yeah. was part of his and which, you know, and, and Sammy the Bull would say, That's Cosa Nostra. You know, I have respect yeah, they have respect yeah. for that. I would have headed down to Florida on the next plane. Yeah. There's yeah. no way I was going yeah. in, you know. Yeah. But and, you know what? The other the other part of that story is is that mm -hmm. he told his I think it was his girlfriend, I'm not sure if it was wife or his girlfriend, he told his tell Donnie that I forgive him for it. He knew that uh, yeah. the word was out that Donnie, Donnie Brasco was Joe Pistone. And she wound up, they set up a phone call or actually a meeting. I oh, think he had a meet. She went and met they, them. Yeah. yeah, they made a meeting between her and Joe Pistone. And she says he 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 really loved you, and he felt you know he he felt that he wanted to forgive you for it. He knew you were just doing your job or whatever. So it was like a little bit of uh, wow. a little bit of a meeting there, you know. And, yeah. and they, they made it happen because you know they couldn't give up his location, but they right. must have uh, you know they picked a, a a very out of the way place and they made the meeting happen. You know, I Phil, that, that's that's, close, that's Costa Nostra. Yeah, that's Costa right. Nostra. Well, you know what's interesting? You bring that up is like the the in Rab talks about this in his book. He talks about how. Uh, a lot of like you know historians and stuff on this on this kind of thing say that one of the reasons why the Italian mafia actually succeeded compared to let's say the Jewish or the Irish mafia is because of that kind of respect for the rule is because they actually stuck to these things like when they said our family is going to let you do your thing and we we divide up in the commission this kind of regimented idea of what uh, the mafia is supposed to be and respecting that rule and those rules is why they survived longer than the other ones. Because if you look at like the Irish mafia and like, you know, Oni Mad and all these different people, they fought with, amongst themselves over everything and they were brutal with each other. 
And same with like the Jewish mafia too. And they didn't survive as long as like a whole unit the way the Italian mafia did. And they say it's because of these rules that people look at now today, like how is that possible? How could they do these things? But that's the reason why they were able to last so long, they say. Amazing. You know yeah, what, guys, we're at um, we're at an hour and eighteen minutes. I think oh, we got to. Uh, Where does the time go, huh? I it was it was fun. I, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's. It, I think the people were enjoying it too. We cool. uh, did something different today. You know, we sort of got away from the real crime stuff and just had some fun. And my buddy Tom Delgado here, who's uh, who's a jack of all trades, as you can tell, right? And uh, sure, he's got long hair now too. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Philly Grimaldi, uh, last, last words, last words, Tom, it was just such a pleasure to meet you. I'm really looking forward to collaborating with you and yes. doing something together. We definitely got to bring you out to, uh, Coney Island and to Bensonhurst and to Gravesend where Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens is. And, uh, maybe we'll, uh, get together and do something. Oh, Great definitely. meeting you. And, uh, it was a pleasure. Tom, anything to plug? Any last words? No, I mean, uh, I mean, anyone here? I guess uh, just the channel, the Tom DNYC. I mean, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Tom DNYC. I have my information for the weekly comedy show there, and and that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't do really Twitter or any of that stuff. So yeah, Instagram and YouTube, and yeah, I try to make a video a week. And uh, I would love to do another thing with with you, Bill, and you, Phil, as well. And we, it'd be super fun. I always love, I always love meeting up with. Uh, with Bill, obviously, and it's been great to meet you and talk to you, Phil. So we definitely, we definitely got to do yeah, something. We'll, we'll, we we'll do it. We'll, we'll definitely yeah. do it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And <laughs> I didn't forget, you guys owe me L&B Spumoni, baby. That's that's right. That's right. So, folks, <laughs> uh, on behalf of uh, myself, Bill Cannon, and Phil Grimaldi from Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, good night. And thank you so much for supporting us and for listening tonight. Stay safe, everybody. Just ain't enough